Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. In today's special episode, we're going to be discussing the greatest drives of a Formula One legend. It's double world champion Mika Hakkinen. And I'm delighted to say that Mika himself is joining us for today's remote recording session. So Mika, welcome to the Autosport Podcast. How are you doing? I'm always happy to give audience for some stories about my career, what I experienced with the, with the first of all, with the great teammates and and, and create team members of McLaren and, and Team Lotus. So I'm I'm happy to be talking to you guys. Thank you. And now I've got a, a second guest with me today. It's Autosports Chief Editor, Kevin Turner. So Kev, first of all, how are you? And I wondered if you could just explain again, because what we're doing, if we discuss uh, Mika's greatest races, it's part of a series that you started a few years ago for the website where you've sort of, you've got your, your list that you like doing, ranking, you know, maybe a top 10 or a top five or something of a, of a driver's career. So yeah, maybe you could just talk us through through the through the concept. Yeah, so as you say, I, I, I love a good list. And um, yeah, I sort of started four or five, well, might even be six years ago now, picking out the 10 best races of various legends, um, normally through autobiographies or race reports or occasionally speaking to engineers or people that work with them. But obviously, it's always fantastic when you can eat, actually speak to the to the drivers involved. Um, so we did it with, with, with Jackie Stewart and we've, we've done it with David Coulthard. I'm very much looking forward to, to doing this one with Mika. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's crack into the first pick that we've got to discuss with you, Mika, and that is your very first Formula One race win, the European Grand Prix at Jerez in 1997. Now, of course, famous for uh, additionally for the title uh, title contenders colliding, Michael Schumacher and Jacques Villeneuve, but obviously a momentous day for you. So I wondered, you know, what are your memories of that race and, and you know, how did it feel being there? Yeah, I mean, that... That uh, race particularly was mega important. My first victory ever in a, in a Formula One. I, I always have been with mixed feelings about winning that Grand Prix uh, because it 
took me seven years before I won my first Grand Prix. So seven years is such a long time, you know, a couple of years with Lotus racing, 91, 92, then, then joining the McLaren, having a really bad accident in 95. I was able to come back to racing, winning a, uh, a race in Jerez. Even, even our car was definitely not fastest car on the track. I mean, Ferrari was, it was flying. I mean, Williams was kicking ass. Uh, they were, they were so quick. So, so to starting that Grand Prix already to psychologically, you know, not winning for seven years. Somewhere there was a feeling like, oh, hopefully now I can win the race, uh, first Grand Prix. But it was a very slight thing, uh, thing in mind. Knowledging that way Williams was fine, knowledging that way uh, Ferrari was so quick, and also knowing that way Michael and, and, and Villeneuve they were really fight, fighting from the championship. So, so I thought, Mah, it's, it's, it's going to be a very small chance that way I, I'm able to win my first Grand Prix. But when it really, when it really happened then, it, it just happened in the final lap when I was able to overtake the Jack. And, and getting my first victory, uh, I was happy. Of course, I was happy. But I was not like, a, I felt like I was winning a Grand Prix, not having the fastest car, having a little bit situation with my teammate, David Coulthard. So I didn't feel like, uh, how would I say it? I, I don't want to say that, but I will say it anyway. I felt like I don't deserve to win because I wasn't the fastest car on the track. But not winning for seven years. Yeah, of course I deserve it, you know. Uh, uh, so, so it was a great feeling. Uh, and, and, and the fact is, it was the last Grand Prix of the year. So winning the last Grand Prix of the year, the McLaren winning the last Grand Prix of the year, Gave the mega motivation boost for the all team members of McLaren. Gave me motivation for me because when I wake up next morning, I was actually I was heading for small holiday after that. Uh, so, uh, and 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 uh, many many days later, two weeks later, I was thinking, oh my god, I'm a Grand Prix winner. And and the, what that means to me that. Uh, uh, it was not. It was not like two weeks, three weeks later, new Grand Prix coming up. It was a long break before the next season starts. So I was the winner whole winter. So everybody just talked to me about it. Mika, well done. You won the first Grand Prix, and and there was not any more discussion at the winter break. That way, well done, Mika. When you gonna win the first Grand Prix? So it was just like, yeah, you won the first Grand Prix. So it was a lot of coming motivation to my life that, that we finally, you know, all these seven years, even some point feeling that way, I'm going to give up. I'm not going to able to ever win the Grand Prix. Now it's behind. I'm a winner. And I got such a motivation boost to continue to be even better racing driver. After the race, um, Jacques Villeneuve um, sort of thanked you for not attacking him in the early stages when he thought that maybe you were a bit quicker. Um, was that something that you that was a conscious decision that to stay out of the championship fight and just to see 
uh, see what would happen, or, or was that sort of a team decision just to just just to, to back off slightly and see what see what happened? It, it, it's definitely a team decision that uh, uh, that the, these two guys are really fighting for the championship. It's no point to get involved with that. Uh, so my answer is it is a team decision, and and uh, and I like that the team decision because I have experience in Formula One. Uh, uh, when I've been making my own decision in a, during a Grand Prix, normally it's not been a good one. Because normally when you're in a driver's seat, you know, you don't see all the monitors. You cannot see what's happening, tactics to the other teams during the race. So making your own decision normally, it's not a good one. And, 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 and the particular, what, go, going, going to, when it did happen actually, it was in 92 in Silverstone when this kind of thing happened to me. Uh, when I did my own decision to not to come to tire stop and and uh, and uh, whatever, but anyway, so uh, yeah, it, it was a team decision, and I, I I felt it was painful because obviously I I could have got quicker, but uh, but I I feel that the end of the day it paid off really well. Because <laughs> yeah. you were not getting involved in the championship fight during the pit stops, David jumped you, didn't he? So he was ahead of you, and then. Um, you guys were sort of running together and he couldn't get past the, the Jordan back marker. And I think then the the, the, t- the team sort of said, right, can you swap round and let me have a go? You then got past the Jordan and you both chased down Villeneuve. So presumably DC was a little bit miffed that he'd had to get out of your way to go after go after Jacques. Was that was that the tension? Def- definitely, definitely, yes. And, and, and uh, D- David, we were both young guys really aiming to... To move on in our career and to create success. So, so uh, David still is a great racing driver and a great. He has a great will to win, and and uh, when any time when if the team is telling the driver to let anybody pass, uh, whatever the situation is, it is a, it is tough. It's always it's it's not in our system to because since we've been six seven years old kids and we've been we've been uh, uh, racing at the racetrack our intention is never to let anybody pass so so when somebody tells you that they let somebody pass it's it's painful really painful of course it, it was tough for him to understand if 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 he has to let let me overtake <laughs> i understand him god damn it <laughs> We'll go on to uh, the, the next pick, the next race that we really wanted to get your, your thoughts on, Mika, which was the Luxembourg Grand Prix a year later at the Nürburgring in 1998, which was, um, you know, a, a charging drive. And Kev, if I could just bring you in, first of all, could you maybe just explain why you in particular felt that this would be a pick for Mika's greatest races? Yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, um, effectively one of those rare occasions where, um, somebody did to Schumacher what he was, him and Ferrari were so famous for doing during Benetton and then into the Ferrari years of doing all their work around the pit stop. So hounding someone and then putting in qualifying style laps um, to jump them during the pit stops. But but Mika and McLaren did it to Schumacher and Ferrari. And the the body language of the Ferrari team, Schumacher on the podium, that you know they were shell shocked. Um, 
you know, Fry looked like they had the edge that weekend. Mika um, sort of stayed within range of, of Schumacher. And then um, when Schumacher went in, unleashed, I think, four laps that were that Ferrari couldn't couldn't match. Um, and then that, that then got Mika into the lead. And Schumacher just couldn't come back at him. And it was a crucial point in the championship fight. And it just, in one race, it seemed to completely swing the momentum um and, and and yeah just a rare example of of, of ferrari braun schumacher era you know being sort of beaten at their own game really so it, it sort of stands out to me as quite a quite a special race and i think even jean tour afterwards said you know hacken did a great race i don't want to use too many superlatives but it was one of his best and if you've got a rival saying that i think that's always a pretty good sign i remember very well uh, on this was on this was on saturday after the collies we had a balance problem with the car, and I was uh, t- talking with my engineer Mark Slade, uh, and and talking with Adrian Nui to, to finding solutions how we can fix these balance issues of the car. And and I remember this so well because uh, the problems what we experienced, and and we knew that we were losing for Michael a little bit every corner tiny bit because of these balance issues it was not of course it was a just tiny difference on a lap time but every corner i lost a little bit time and not because i didn't take a right line not because we didn't have a good downforce in a car not because we didn't have power enough it was just because a tiny balance issue so it did not it's, it was a problem, but you just couldn't fix like, okay, let's put some little bit more front wing or uh, let's do it. We needed to make quite a radical change to the car uh, for many different areas in a car. And, and it was very tricky. It was very dangerous because in a racing car, if you change more than one thing, uh, you can get lost very easily. And particular when we're talking about doing this kind of change after Saturday, after qualification, when you've been running with a low fuel, when you know that where Sunday morning when it comes, you're going to be in a heavy fuel and completely new setup. So there was a massive risk. So I remember this situation with Mark Slade and Adrian Nui talking about, about what we need to do for the car changes to make the car to handle what I want. And, and, I, and, and it was a beautiful situation uh, because the marks like, you know, his, his, his character is, is fantastic. You know, you can see the steam coming out of his head because he keeps thinking so much. He's getting so stressed up, you know. Uh, and Adrian, you know, very calm, very calculating, thinking and having his pen and putting numbers together and, 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 uh, and, uh, and making calculation of what needs to be done for the suspension, for the aerodynamics, for the ride heights, and all the whole package to able to fix these particular problems. And, and it was fascinating to see these work, what they did. And, and you can see I talk a lot. And, and uh, when, when I was in this kind of engineering moment, it was difficult to keep the mouth shut because I have to let these guys to think you know, uh, and, and it was so, it was so much fun. Uh, 
But so, so then you can imagine, then you work late in Saturday evening to get the car, to get the car right set up. And of course, Mark Slay, Adrian knew it, convinced, now this is right, this is going to fix your problems. And then you go in a hotel in Saturday evening and, and then you had to switch off. You know, you're, you kind of continue thinking about of what about the setup? Is it going to work tomorrow or is it not going to work? What are I going to do? So you have to just switch off, you know, to, that way you can rest. You let your brain to rest. You let your physically, your body to rest. And, and next morning when you wake up, uh, you go on a racetrack and, and you're looking forward to see if, if this changes what the engineers has done. Is it gonna work? So, so again, when I went to the Sunday morning uh, 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 warm-up, car was amazing. It was amazing. It was exactly what I wanted the car to be. You know, when you go under braking, you turn the corner, you go to power, and it was flat out fantastic. So that was a confidence uh, with your team, with your engineers, and and the car what I had to go to the Sunday's race, knowing that way, guys, now we're going to go flatter. We're going to win this one. So when you were following Michael before the pit stops, did you think, yeah, I reckon when he pulls in? Because presumably, you would you have known at that point that you probably had a bit more fuel than him? Or were you sort of waiting to see whether you... So, so you knew you were waiting for the moment to unleash Absolutely. that car. Absolutely. So those four laps must have been pretty it amazing. It was amazing because I knew, I knew I had a bit more fuel. Uh, I did... Uh, I did uh, uh, know my car is quick, and, and of course, and particularly that circuit, aerodynamics, when you're following the other car, it's very, you, you are giving a lot of stress for the tires because there's a, they are really long sweeping corners, and when you follow somebody, your car sliding all the time a little bit, so it's aware of the tires are quite dramatic. So, uh, but the advantage in that circuit is you, there is not a one particular racing line in that circuit. You can choose a little bit. You don't have to take exactly the same line than the other driver when you're following, and you can still match a good lap time. So when I was following Michael, I, 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 was, I, was, I knew that I can be a little bit quicker there, I can push a little bit faster, and that corner I can save the tires a little bit because I know when he comes into pit stop, I'm going to put my foot down, man, you know. And do you remember what Michael was like after that? That race, um, I mean, uh, when David talked about it, he said that that Michael just looked kind of defeated. Was that was that your was that a day where you thought, yeah, I've definitely yeah, I've really got a psychological boost in the championship fight now? Yeah, uh, it, it was a turning point. It was definitely a turning point. We are front of the yeah, okay, we are front of the German German crowd. Uh, we are we are circuit where the Mercedes is huge uh, uh, in terms of their marketing plan. All the lot of guest employees, whatever, were there, and and we showed absolutely mega domination on the, on the, on the, my opinion for the at the Sunday morning race, uh, the Sunday race. Uh, Michael uh, was very confident they're gonna win a race, and Mark was very confident that when they win a race, they're gonna win a championship. Uh, so this really this really was tough for michael to take i don't know if they made some mistake or something but uh, michael recognized that 
we we simply we were better we were better in every aspect uh, to 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 do this kind of result so uh, he knew that it, he he just knew that way oh my god am i going to lose the championship this one now you know just a brief aside before i introduce the next race i thought your description of mark slade and adrian newey actually reminded me of me and kev i think i'm the mark slade and uh, kev can be the adrian newey there my steam <laughs> always coming out of my ears and things like that when we have to have a tough tough discussions but there we go and um, but mika we're gonna we're gonna move on right to the very next race suzuka 1998 the japanese grand prix where of course you you clinch your first world title but it's interesting just to follow on from that discussion about the defeat that schumacher and ferrari he suffered because of course this is the race where he qualified on pole you were second then there was an aborted start and he stalled and had to start from the back of the grid come through the pack picks up a puncture he retires do you think that defeat was way that the defeat of the Nürburgring was weighing on his mind at Suzuka no Michael was a very great racing driver and 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 he had great power to organize himself that uh what what has happened in in the in the previous grand prix he was able to analyze that with the team extremely well push the team to work hard to fix the issues what they had learn like i said learn from the mistakes so when they went to suzuka they were they were ready they were ready they knew they have a fast car uh uh so no he was he was ready to attack he was ready to to take this Suzuka Grand Prix, completely separate uh, operation, and to get best out of the, everything what they have available to for that Grand Prix to win. But, but, and and I, I and I personally, I, I knew that, but they have a very fast car. They have a little bit quicker car than we had uh, in uh, in an ultimate lap when they were going with the ultimate performance lap in the low fuel. They they were a little bit little bit better but i knew that way when we had a fuel uh heavy fuel in a car i was confident that way in a long many long term we we will beat them so i was counting on that so were you disappointed that you didn't get to have that straight fight with him because of the stool or were you sort of quite pleased right i'm off see you later uh in that moment when i did did but, okay, when, when we when we do these restarts, uh, uh, I know the car is going through a massive stress. You know the clutch, of course, the engine temperatures, and and the doing this formation lap. If you do it too slowly, the formation lap, everything gets even even hotter because the cars don't have a, some kind of I don't know what to call it, the fan cooling. It's just the air which cooling the oil and the water. Uh, so, so it's very crucial to form a formation lap. And and uh, when I did so, Michael stalling his his Ferrari, uh, I was not surprised. And I I wasn't I wasn't surprised because my mechanics, McLaren team was so quick. Every time when the start was aborted, you know, the my mechanics were flying flat out to the car. Cooling the engines, the gearboxes, the tires are immediately wrapped with the heaters, and I and I saw how professional the team was doing this, the McLaren team. And when I was looking at Michael's car, he's sitting there alone, and nobody's not coming. And I was knowing that way, 
hey, this is not ending up good because if my temperature in my cage is 120 degrees, you know, the water boils in 100 and I have 120, I said, you know, he, and if his mechanics are not there around cooling a car, he's not going to make it. So when he did stall the car uh, uh, and, and his car failed, I wasn't surprised. Uh, if I was happy about that, of course I was happy about that. <laughs> but but uh, 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 but same time, I was confident that if the Michael would be able to start the race uh, normally, uh, I'm I was confident that we are going to get the lead in the start because I I was so good at it. I was so good in the start in, in Suzuka because it's a downhill. The whole whole starting grid is a downhill. And I had a very fantastic technique to make the start, particularly when the car is downhill. And and I, I knew the, the clutch curve exactly how it works. I knew exactly when the torque is coming to the engine. Uh, and, and I knew how much I had to press the brake pedal to make the perfect start. And... And, and of course, when the lights are going off, uh, you have to all the time give the, give the pressure for the clutch. Uh, so, so that's a tiny guess, but, but a, uh, I knew gonna, even the Michael would have make a start, I wouldn't know I would have kicked his ass. So suddenly he's gone. You're obviously all ready for this big fight with your championship rival, and suddenly he's not there. Was it difficult to sort of keep the focus um, or did you just go right? I've just I'm I'm now I've just got to win the race now. It was difficult to keep the focus. It's it's a long race, and I knew that I'm gonna I'm gonna have a lonely race. Basically, I don't have a threat. I don't have a real threat behind. So I I was all the time. Uh, it it was mentally you you suddenly have to nobody's not pushing you. You just have to push yourself to keep the car. In the 99% in the corners, uh, the, the problem came during a race because if there was any gravel on the track or any oil on the track, that was a job of the team to keep me informed early enough. If I saw the yellow flags, I really know. I, sometimes I didn't know what was coming, and the team didn't know what was going on necessarily. And and uh, and because I saw the, the world championship front of the plate already for me you know so i was so i was so nervous about what's happening what's what's going to be around the corner is the car going to be sideways is it going to be travel or oil or something and if i spin off then if i spin off i tell you what it's going to be a catastrophe so this kind of pressure you are living all the time uh and and uh, so it was difficult to maintain the the speed and of course if I remember, the Irvine was, I saw him in my mirrors, luckily quite far away. But anyway, I saw him in his mirrors. So I knew that way the team is pushing Irvine to any, any moment, if there's a chance, Irvine will attack me, you know, one way or other. I mean, not taking me off, but, but he will, if he gets close to enough me, he will overtake me as soon as he can. And he won't, he's, and he's ready to take a risk. And and uh, so it was a it was it was difficult. Uh, towards the end of the race, where there was not so many laps anymore to go, that was a, that was a difficult part because I can I can see I can see that 
the temperatures are fine, the tires are fine, all the pit stops has been done, uh, the car is running smooth. Uh, so that came to time when the motion started to come and said, oh my God, I could be a world champion. This could be a fantastic. So, so uh, last couple of laps are really difficult, but then I hear Ron Dennis in the radio, you know, Mika, concentrate, don't slow down. So I said, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> so, so luckily, luckily he came on the radio because he put me again a little bit in a focus moment, you know. Uh, and again, racing so many years in Formula One, uh, not winning a world champion. Now it was so close. So, so uh, it, it was it was good again from the team that way they kept me pushing because. Ron has won a championship many times, so he knows what it is. And it's not finished until you you finish the the flag. And and uh, and the sooner I finished the flag, that's it. It was just it was just amazing. But it was it was tough. Amika, you said when you won your first race at Jerez, it took you a few days to to really to sink in that you were a Grand Prix winner. Did the same thing happen when you won the world title, or was it just an instant an instant release and and, and feeling? It was an instant feeling. It, it was a definitely. I, I knew that it, it was not. It was not anymore uh, uh, something what needs to take a few days to to me to understand. It, it was. It was there straight away. I was. I was so uh, uh, relieved to to achieve this because I felt that way. That if I don't win it now this year, ninety eight championship here in Suzuka, I'm never gonna win. So I have to do it. I have to win it. So so when it happened, I said, nobody don't take this away from me now. It's done. The world championship is my pocket and it will stay the rest of my life. And and uh, and actually uh, you know people, you know, when when drivers are winning a championship, uh, you can see that where the team's already been before the driver has won the championship uh the, the team's already printing a t-shirt that we're world champion this and this and that even the person has not won it so what mclaren has done they they did promotional program for me before i have won my first world championship and i tell you what next day when i hit the road uh after suzuka grand prix i was one month on a road uh like a rock star basically I was I was on the states every weekend. I was traveling every weekend around the world, and it was the toughest moment. So I did realize that well, yes, I am definitely world champion. Uh, we definitely got the attention from the world and partners that we are the best. Uh, but it has a downside that uh, you weren't able to to get your physical condition in a right level because you were in a cocktail evening, cocktails every evening, your events non-stop, you were with the partners also non-stop. And of course, I understand that. It's important to activate every to, 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 to hold and to get the, all the maximum success out of this, uh, to get the maximum coverage for all the partners because they're investing a lot of money for the McLaren success. Uh, but. I was, I was, uh, I remember at one point I didn't know anymore when I was sitting in the back of the car going to event. I said, I had to ask, you know, people who would travel with me. I said, well, which country we are this time? I have no clue which country we were anymore because we went 
all the time around the Europe and out of the Europe, and it was so tough. And so I did a very radical, I've changed maybe a little bit subject, but I, I did a very radical decision that way. I, 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 after that one month stress, I disappeared for one month. Uh, just to take a physical training for myself, and middle of, well, middle of nowhere. Actually, I took a boat, and then I was on a boat for one month. That way, nobody's not a, no, nobody's not around me. So, so it was quite a, quite a tough one. So, uh, it, it, it's not, it's not the perfect scenario. Uh, it, it's very difficult. I, I think if I would, if I would, if I would be in the same position, I would do it differently. Uh, because it's mentally and physically so demanding. Now, Mika, to to put you on the spot a little bit, would you would you be able to rank those three races? Which one you would put at number one, number two, and number three? So, Hareth ninety seven, Nurburgring ninety eight, and Suzuka ninety eight. Just to help Kev with this feature, I, I would put Suzuka because uh, why Suzuka? Simply because it was, if I remember correctly, it was like three or four weeks gap before that last Grand Prix in Suzuka. It was a long, long, it was a long break. Uh, so it, what, what are you going to do in that long break? Are you going to spend all the days in the factory? Are you going to do exercise every day before that? Are you going to go Japan three weeks before the race? What are you going to do? How are you going to activate your time that way? When you wake up in the morning, you don't think about, oh my God, the last Grand Prix. I mean, am I going to win a world championship or not? So how to balance your life, how to get yourself best out of it, when the day when you come into Japan, that are you going to be fit, that way you don't have a flu, uh, how you can approach the people, and, and is the car going to be okay? And So there's many aspects. So I have to put the Suzuka was the most toughest one and hardest one to approach, not physically, but psychologically. And and uh, and and uh, and when I did arrive to Suzuka, and a little bit before Suzuka, uh, it was a it was a absolutely McLaren who who made this winning possible because they gave me unbelievable confidence. They organized my promotions. They how they upgraded the car for the Grand Prix. Uh, in Suzuka, you know, the wind tunnel numbers, what they confirmed that way, this how many points we get more downforce on the front and we have this upgrade there and this and that. It gave me such a confidence boost to go to the last Grand Prix that way I going to win. But I think when the McLaren told me some numbers of the, of the modifications, what they did, I think they didn't tell me the whole truth. What do you think they left out? Yeah, I think they just bullshit me that way. Mika, we have much better front wing and they didn't have chased anything. <laughs> Psychological boost. And Mika, in the past, I know you've also picked out the 1998 Monaco Grand Prix as one that's very, uh, like, that's sort of a race of your life as well. So how would you say that that one compares to Suzuka? I guess it's a sort of a different challenge, isn't it, because of the nature of the circuit. So, so why did that one stand out and how does it compare to the Suzuka race? Well, Monaco, because, again, 98, absolutely mega car. So when, when you have a fantastic car, 
every corner when you come to breaking point and you are going close to a apex and, and you're coming out of the corner, you are so close to barrier because the car is so good. You can be so precise. You can control the car to keep the car absolutely on the limit on the track. Suzuka, of course, you can do that. But if you go two centimeters or more than that, a little bit wide, you don't touch the barrier. But Monaco, you touch the barrier. So the the focus has to be has to be so dedicated for that moment when you when you enter into corner that way you don't you don't touch the barrier outside when you turn in or when you are going close to the barrier in a, in a in a apex that way if you have a little bit too much steering lock the wheel can touch the barrier so you need to have a just right angle on the steering that way just going nicely nicely close to barrier and exit of the corner that way when you go on a throttle that when you get the traction on the rear tires that if you get a little bit too much wheel spin and the back end snaps a little bit out of the corner, you're going to hit the wall. So you need to all the time have an extra, extra focus in those areas to, to able to, to get the good, good line and, and the right speed around the corner. And that requires, again, a lot of energy. And not only psychological energy, also physical energy. Because every single movement with the steering makes the car to move a bit, of course, naturally. But Monaco, you don't have room for that. It has to be perfect every time. So that's why Monaco was incredible to able to do that lap after that lap. And and uh, and and if you can and if you can do that uh, lap after lap, you can see your lap time going quicker, quicker all the time, a little bit. And this, when you see the lap times getting quicker, every lap, what do you do naturally? Is it okay? I go a little bit closer to the barrier, and I try to drive a little bit faster. So it's so much, it's so much fun, uh, but same time there's a high risk, and it requires so much physical power. So winning there and succeeding doing that, uh, you put that in your memory bank, and and uh, you know where the limits are with your mind, with your body, to able to be a good racing driver. So that's kind of your optimum and almost optimum benchmark of the of the level that you can reach as a purely as a racing driver because it, it, it hurts you with any mistake. Absolutely. Monaco is absolutely ultimate in that and, and uh, it's just brilliant. And and uh, and of course for the team Monaco is a challenge also. Very challenge. You know the, that time the pit lane was very tiny. Mechanics were really stressed up because no space. Uh, moving all the equipment from the from the pit from the uh, so the, the the cars normally when when they were prepared they didn't stay at the uh, uh, in a in a pit lane normally like they you know like two stays a bit different yeah that was confusing wasn't it? Uh, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mika, just 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 one final thing. I think we we'd like to get your thoughts on, if possible, and it's a, a topic that uh, concerns Formula One in 2020, particularly one of the drivers, one of the you know the big news stories during the the delay to the season with all the lockdowns and everything was that Sebastian Vettel will be leaving Ferrari at the end of the year. Carlos Sainz Jr. coming in to replace him. There's lots of speculation about what 
Vettel might do in his future and one his former teammate Mark Webber came out recently said he thinks he, he might take 2021 as a year off have it as a sabbatical I just wondered whether you thought that because of you know things that developed you at the way your career developed as well is that a good idea for for a driver to do that and and, and in Vettel's case as well it, it's important to driver who's do it if like, like I did uh, I did the sabbatical year I got that option it was absolutely fantastic. Ron said, get out of here, come back in one year time, the seat is ready for you. I said, wow, that's cool. Uh, so, uh, Sebastian is, in a, is not in the same position. The Ferrari don't, you know, it's, it's in a bit different situation. Uh, so, I had a very close relationship with the team. Uh, so, so that was a brilliant for my side. Now we come down to the personal side, the psychological and physical side. What do you feel? And and when I decided to take a break, uh, I was I was big burned. I, I was burned out a little bit. I felt that I cannot anymore give the best shot uh, for the driving and for the team. So it was better me to stop. Uh, uh, Maybe yes. When you recharge your batteries over the year, you you say thumbs up, I'm ready to come back. But it didn't happen to me. Uh, I felt like that's it. Winning world championship a couple of times, knowing the risk what Formula One brings to my life, I better I better do something else. So the Vettel is now in a different position with the team, what I was, uh, and what about how does he feel psychologically? Is he happy to come to paddock? Is he smiling and say, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Hello, my friends. So far, what I've been following, uh, no, that's not the case. Uh, so I think uh, it's a challenge uh, uh, for him to, to found, found this kind of case that, way. okay, I take one year off and then I come back. Competition is today different. Uh, uh, what it was in my time, uh, and and uh, oh yeah, exactly. I think uh, it, it's it's different situation. But saying all that, uh, of course, Sebastian four times, four times world champion and a brilliant racing driver, great character guy, uh, and and he's still <clears throat> in his age. He's still a young guy, so plenty to give to Formula One and plenty to give to fans. Uh, but I think when he get everything sorted out in his mind, he, he will, he's the only person who will make a decision if he's going to come back. But, but personally, I'm nice to, uh, happy to see him from Love One. He's a good, he's a good guy. I think that's really, really useful insight and and uh, and uh, interesting to see how that particular story plays out. But Mika, I think we'll um, we'll wrap up the podcast there. But if I can just say, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you this morning and hearing your stories, your insight, your thoughts on those great races. And uh, and yeah, we just we very much appreciate that. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed your time on the podcast. Thank you. I had a really good time. Nice to talk to you guys. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mika and Kev. Yes, thank, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon on another episode of the Autosport Podcast.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.